Hi, I'm Jim Juno, and this is The Juno Files. Bill Cosby's decades-long career as a sweater-wearing, wholesome TV dad came to a swift and stunning end on April 26, 2018, when he was convicted of drugging and sexually assaulting Andrea Constant. The mounting allegations against Bill Cosby, more than 60 women have come forward to accuse him of similar crimes, and his ultimate conviction were a shock to Americans who wanted to hang on to their image of Cosby as a pudding pop hero. Award-winning journalist and former People Magazine senior writer Nikki Wisensee Egan was the first reporter to dig into the story when Constant went to the police in 2005. Other news organizations looked away, but Egan doggedly investigated the case, developing ties with entrenched sources and discovering incriminating details that would ultimately come to influence the prosecution. In her new book, Chasing Cosby, The Downfall of America's Dad, Egan writes about the allegations from their inception in 2005 up through Cosby's conviction in 2018 and imprisonment. We go now to the interview. All right, we're talking with Nikki Wisensee Egan, and she has a new book out called Chasing Cosby, The Downfall of America's Dad. Welcome, Nikki. Uh, thanks for having me on. Now, this book, it began, and like, like me, I knew Bill Cosby by his public persona, namely The Cosby Show back in the 80s. And Fat Albert after that. And, and you did too, didn't you? Yes, I grew up watching Fat Albert and the, and the kids on um, Saturday mornings with my brother and was a huge fan of the Cosby show when it started in the mid-80s as well. So yes, I was, I was a fan of Bill Cosby for almost my entire life. And this story, now the, the book is about Bill Cosby's Fall from Grace and... And basically, you have dealt much deeper into the story than anybody that I've that I've read so far. And um, for those of you who who don't know the story of Bill Cosby, if you've been living in a cave for about for the past uh, fifteen years, uh, Bill Cosby was was the the squeaky clean America's dad figure, Doctor Huxtable from the Cosby Show, Fat Albert, his stand-up specials. He did not swear. He, um, he also, I don't believe he drank either, did he? He says in his uh, bio that he had three sips of a beer or something when he was a teenager and didn't like the loss of control, so he never drank again. Right. And and in private, though, now I'm going to use a term, and I hope I don't get, I hope I don't get in trouble with it, but he basically is a, was a serial rapist, is what, is what it turns out to be. And he's in prison now for, for the offense that, first started it all with um, the director of basketball operations at Temple University. Isn't that correct? I'm sorry, what was that question again? Okay, isn't it, isn't it correct that he's in prison now for, for, the, one, for the one that started it all? Uh, not, not, yes, 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 yes. And he's serving three to ten years, and there are still people who don't believe it, but the, you address it in your book. You call it the halo effect, don't you? Yes, I mean, in America, we have a huge tendency to deify celebrities, and, um, and some, you know, some psychologists have dubbed this, it's called the halo effect. We think that because someone does good things, that means they're a good person. Like, just because O.J. Simpson was a great 
football player, we thought he was a great person. And this folds into people like Bill Cosby just because he, you know, did he did a lot of great things. He donated millions of dollars to black historically black colleges. You can't deny that he didn't do a lot of good things. But that does that also mean that he's not capable of doing very bad things? <laughs> not necessarily. And this and this story got its start with you when you were working at the Philadelphia Daily News. And did I get the newspaper right or did I get that wrong? Yes, no, you got it right. Great, it right. okay. And um, and you were handed this story back in 2005. And yes, it broke... Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. Yes, it broke on the, the 5 o'clock news in Philly on Channel 10. Um, and it was like not... It was a, a scoop that, that this Channel 10 reporter had gotten. And I was assigned to it. Um, I had been digging into sexual misconduct among the ranks of Pennsylvania State Police for the past couple of years. I was a crime investigative writer, and they, they usually put me on the big breaking st- crime stories like that. And, of course, my initial reaction was, you know, not the cause, because I was a fan. I just was, I couldn't even, you know, begin to fathom him doing something like this. But I had done an expose as well a couple of years prior on drug-facilitated sexual assaults, um, that were going on at the Delaware Avenue clubs in Philly. So I was really familiar with pretty much every aspect of this issue. So um, the first thing I wanted to do, though, was to find out, you know, who who was she? Who was this woman accusing him? Was she in a position to know him? How did she end up at his home that night? Because the, the details that came out were very skimpy, and they didn't give her name because, of course, she was a sexual assault victim. Right. And that's the norm, although that quickly changed with this case because the media started running her name without her permission. Um, I mean, all the journalistic rules were broken on this story by the other media in 2005. I was the, the only reporter digging into this back then, and I caught a raft of of crap from other reporters <laughs> for it. Um, I, I had a lot piling on me for doing the stories. But So anyway, I had a source tell me what her a temple, tell me who she was, um, although we didn't use her name. And, um, you know, she was very credible. They were all kind of blown away. She was very well thought of. She was director of operations for the women's basketball team at Temple. Uh, the coach, Don Staley, was close with Cosby. Cosby was on the board of trustees there. That's how she met him. And she had been, like, one of the top high school basketball players in Canada. She had been recruited by um, 50 to 60 colleges in the U.S. and ultimately chose the University of Arizona. She wanted to play for the WNBA one day, um, and that didn't happen. She went to Italy and played after college for 18 months. So basketball was pretty much her entire life um, up until the point I finally realized the WNBA wasn't going to happen. Dawn Staley recruited her to the job at Temple. And as I said, Dawn was very close with Cosby. There was a poster of the two of them hanging on her wall in her office. He had dedicated the the screening of the Fat Albert movie, the Philadelphia screening of the Fat Albert movie to Mm -hmm. her. And like I said, of course, you know, Cosby was on the board of trustees at Temple, which is a very powerful position. He was probably the most famous alum at Temple, although he didn't actually graduate from there. He got like an honorary degree. So that set the stage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that set the the stage for it, and I quickly found out, you know, that she was very credible, that she was in a position to know him. He was her mentor, and I, and you know, that things just started unfolding from there. And now, I mean, now it's, it looks like, and I think you say in your book that you know this has been go- he was doing this for a lot longer than this than it started in two thousand five. That's not the first right. time. Right. That's what was shock. You know, it was shocking enough to me when 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 her allegation came out, and you know, I, I got 
some exclusives early on that she had tapes that supported what she said had proved what she was you know saying was the truth and then the DA was behaving at the time was behaving very bizarrely in this case he was very much a, he loved the TV cameras he loved to hold press conferences at the drop of a hat he loved to see his mug on TV but about this one there was like radio silence um, wow. it took him four days before he issued this terse for three or four paragraph press release in which he almost threatened Andrea herself, it seemed like, <laughs> in it. And then when he held a press con, the one and only press conference he held on the case was only after they had spoken to Cosby. And, um, you know, from Tamara Green, who was a California attorney, heard snippets of it all the way in California and had been paying attention because the same thing had happened to her, she said, 35 years ago. And then when she heard snippets from that press conference, it became very clear to her that Castor had no intention of charging Cosby. So she thought, she, so she came forward with her own story to the prosecutors and to Andrea's attorneys and then to me and told her story exclusively to me and we put it on the cover. Um, and that, you know, started, you know, oh, this domino effect of there were by the end there were like 14 women total who came forward in 2005 and said Cosby did this or tried to do the same thing to them it that, was astonishing but the, the DA didn't even hold a, didn't do a full investigation it lasted less than a month he shut it down his own detectives were still in the middle of the investigation he didn't tell them and he just abruptly closed the case with a press con again with a press release in which again he made um, you know dis disparaging remarks about Andrea in there, of course, without naming her. He didn't let, he was, you know, normally you call the uh, attorneys and of the victim and let them know. He didn't do that. He, um, you know, they found out when the media showed up at their doorstep <laughs> um, and told them that the, that Castor wasn't holding a press conference. He claims he sent them a press release, which I think they got later. So it was, it was pretty horrific all the way around this whole case. And um, I'd been doing a lot of national TV shows when I was getting exclusives, and I was getting beat up by them pretty rap pretty regularly. And then the DA was telling people he was going to have me, he could have me arrested for writing the stories about the tape, the tapes I had about that Andrea had. So it was it was pretty awful. There was a negative story about me and my paper and the oh local gosh. newspaper. You know, are we out to get Bill Cosby? I mean, it was that I was getting calls you know, very regularly, almost every day from Marty Singer, his attorney in yeah. L.A., who's just known for, you know, like he always says, he he doesn't have to sue people for defamation. His strategy is to get stories to never run. And that's what he was trying to do between calling me and sending letters to my newspaper. The amazing thing is that that's what struck me is that Cosby's sphere, sphere of influence didn't just extend in the Philadelphia area, not just in the Temple area, but nationwide i mean even you know like nbc uh who you know of course they aired the cosby show they protected him and it's it just struck me how powerful this one man was uh, for even for facing these these uh you know bad charges that um, i mean i think you mentioned in the book like Tamar, uh the, the the attorney the female attorney tamara um uh, Tamara Green, is that, was that her name? Tamara. Tamara Green. I mean, when she went on the Today Show with Matt Lauer, mm -hmm. you know, it, Matt Lauer basically attacked her uh, verbally mm -hmm. during the interview. Yep. And that, that surprised me. And, and the other thing that surprised me was that Cosby never, seemed to never vary his pattern. It was always, it was always use his charm to insinuate himself and then uh, befriend them even to the point of meeting, you say meeting their families at, at some points. 
until until he was ready to get them in a position where they were at his hotel room or they were mm-hmm. at his house. That, that did that surprise you at all? Well, I mean, well, what I think a lot of people don't realize is um, he. Most many of these girls, when he were girls when he met them, they were teenagers. He sought them out to mentor them. They did not seek him out. He um, he went to their. A lot of them were aspiring models, singers. He went to their agents. Their agents came to them and said, "Bill, Bill Cosby wants to mentor you." Mm-hmm. And then you get on the phone with their parents, and then he talked to them. He built the trust. Um, and he would let that go on for a while, and then when he got him in an environment, he controlled that. He would drug and sexually assault them, and then he would drop them. Um, with Andrea, again, you know, he met her via a donor at a Temple women's basketball game. He called her. It was her job, you know. She was director of operations for the women's basketball team. Yeah. He began calling her there with questions about the team, and he sought her out. And, you know, she looked at him as like this grandfather figure. I mean, he's 10 years older than her own father. But in his deposition, he later said that he, you know, he had his eye on her romantically from day one. And as far as the media, yeah, that was one of the most um, disillusioning things for me covering this in 2005 was the media and the way – um, he was able to control the media. He, um, he what, the way he, there's, what I found out through my own experience is that first he'd use the carrot. And back then he was in the, in the middle of all these town halls where he was going across the country and lecturing black people about how to behave in, in inner cities. He was, and you, if, to go to these, you had to be, as a member of the media, you had to be invited. And that's one of the first things this person said to me when I called for a comment. It was like, oh, we've got to get you into one of these town halls. Well, that offer quickly went away <laughs> um, as my stories got more aggressive. But it was interesting to watch. Like, ABC never covered the criminal case. The only story they did back then was um, a story about a leak, a pro-Cosby leak that said that um, Cosby said what happened between him and this woman was consensual. And then, lo and behold, three months later, they get an exclusive sit-down with him. They were inside one of his town halls. He's on Nightline, and, you know, they got the first sit- TV sit-down with him wow. after uh, Castor didn't uh, withdrew the charges. And I actually, that's when I um, first heard the phrase trading up, because I was hearing from the bookers on the television shows that were booking me that they were getting caught catching a lot of flack from Cosby's people about having me on the shows. And that's when they heard about trading up, where you get, you kill one story to get a better one. And that's what was going on. And pretty soon I wasn't on those shows anymore. So it was, uh, it was like I said, very disillusioned. I you know, then became a member of the national media, and I saw even more how much, even more how much power celebrities wield. It is, it's, it's a national media thing, I think, more than a local media thing. Um, with, with local media, it might end up being more about just money, just being right. scared of being sued. Um, with the national media, at least especially the TV media, it's more about, you know, you don't want to irritate this person because then they might, this other celebrity might not talk to you. And that's a lot of, a lot of what it was. And Marty Singer also represented a lot of different celebrities anytime they were in trouble. And he was, he was very feared. Um, my newspaper was always the type of paper that just wouldn't back down from anybody. And to this day, I say there is no other paper in the country that would have let me pursue that story the way I did in 2005, but the Daily News. I mean, I wrote story after story after story, even after the charges. You know, the DA decided not to charge him. I kept breaking more stories, and then I got an interview with another Jane Doe a couple months later, the, a first one with her. Uh, there were 12 Jane Doe's in the civil suit Andrea filed against Cosby, and their names weren't made public. Now, now the story so. and the story went away for almost I want to say like nine years, right? From between two thousand and five and two thousand and fourteen, 
it just basically just sat on the DA's desk or or just got filed away. And, and then something happened in 2014. Well, yeah, I mean, what happened is once, you know, Andrea filed a civil suit, once the DA didn't file charges, she wanted a criminal case, but that clearly wasn't happening. So her only other, you know, avenue was, was a, a civil suit. And then that took a year and a half before um, he finally agreed to settle it. And it was after he had been deposed for four, on four different days in 2005 and 2006. And mm. as we now know, those depositions later became public. Um, you know, then there was a lot in there, and I think that's why he settled, and that's why, you know, the amount, we never knew the amount he got, that she got until the second trial, mm -hmm. um, because it was a, a confidentiality agreement, but it wasn't like nuisance going away money. I mean, it was $3.38 million. Wow. You know, that's, that's a lot of money to give to someone if you didn't do something, and he had, in the one phone call with her mother, he had apologized to them, and he, he admitted he was a sick man, and said, you know, he admitted he'd done this. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so, yeah, it went quiet. And, you know, but I, I still kept all my notes. I packed them up in waterproof boxes and put them in my basement. I was just like, you know, I left the Daily News, went on. I ended up working for people. And um, I was like, you know, you just never know. There might be another woman that comes forward. This might not be the end of it. It was, it's only those files I took with me from my job and, like, the Pennsylvania State Police stuff, and that was it. And um, sure enough, you know, five years ago, it was this month. It was yeah. this month at the Hannibal Burris video, five years ago. How, um, went viral. How many where, women... I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, I stepped on your line. Oh, so, yeah. So, so this Philly Magazine reporter um, decided at the last minute got a ticket to go see Hannibal Burris. He was, he was in Philly at the Trocadero. Right, the stand-up comedian. And he comedian. almost didn't go. Mm -hmm. But he went, and, and he was fiddling with his iPhone, and he hears, all of a sudden he hears the name Bill Cosby. And he's like, hmm, you know, black, you know um, Bill Cosby's been known to you know, get in these fights with these young black comedians because he doesn't like the way they swear and he doesn't like the way they have their pants down. Mm -hmm. So he's like, oh, this could be interesting. So he he just pops, the, you know, starts a video, starts, you know, filming it with his the video camera on his iPhone. And that's where that whole thing that Hannibal did, you know, where he said, you know, Bill Cosby's always like, you know, pull up your pants, black people, behave. And, well, you know, dial it down a notch, Bill, because you, you rape people. <laughs> and he's like, if you don't believe it, just... Go Google that shit when you leave here. Drug Bill Cosby rape, and he had been doing this routine on and off for six months. No, no, nothing happened. <laughs> no media did anything about it. No anything, and you know there had been, and just in February, Newsweek had done interviews with Tamara Green and Barbara Bowman, who was another accuser that came, uh, another Jane Doe who came forward in 2006, and nothing, zero. Gawker did a story, nothing, and then this video, like the next day at 4 p.m. They post the Philly Mag posts a story with the video. It's four o'clock on a Friday. Um, over the weekend, a BuzzFeed reporter sees it on Facebook. So Monday, she does an aggregated story on it, and then Gawker picks it up because, of course, they had just done a story about it in February. And then the Daily Mail picks it up and does a story, and it just it just exploded. And it was this video and. And I think the biggest difference was, you know, in 2005, there was no social media. Um, Twitter didn't exist, Instagram, Snapchat, none of it. And right. Facebook was just for college students. The websites of news organizations were in their infancy, if they even existed at all. So stories couldn't go viral. And Cosby could control the media, but he could not control social media. And, and that's what happened. It just went crazy on social media. And it finally, he started canceling appearances. He was in the middle of a resurgence. He, that 
this new biography was out by Mark Whitaker, a former Newsweek editor. He was uh, in development with NBC for a family show to play the grandfather, and he had a new comedy special coming out on Netflix. So he was also, and that had changed in the in the like eight months since the Newsweek stories too. He was a little more relevant because he had actual projects going on. Right. But regardless, it um, it just exploded, and he started canceling appearances, and then finally the mainstream media started covering it more because um, these news these online news organizations had sprung up since 2005 as well, and they just they they did not look at cause they didn't grow up watching the Cosby Show, <laughs> they didn't grow up watching Fat Albert and the Kids, Cosby Kids. They had no you know they had no reverence as these online news organizations don't for anybody and they just went after the story with all they had with your research let me ask you this let me with your research how many women now we know i know you said 14 was the number you mentioned but how many women do you do you think this happened to oh that was how many there were in 2005 um the the ones that have come forward totals that by my count are about 64 64? but so many of them know you know a other women who have not come forward. I mean, I think the number's in the hundreds easily. My the, the first known one is from 1965. Right, and that was that was the earliest one. But but yeah. you, in the hundreds, I mean, that is that is. Un, I, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble wrapping my head around that number. Um, and he just kept getting away with it because because of why. Because he could control law. He was very, you know, he, there were a lot of enablers, and I write about this in the book. Um, the media enabled him, law enforcement enabled him, um, and Hollywood. There were a lot of people in Hollywood knew, and they did not, they did nothing about it. They, they just, you know, they, I don't know what they could have done about it, but the, the one thing that, um, one of the women said that after one woman came forward, Quincy, in 2014, Quincy Jones texted her and said, I've been telling Bill for years to stop drugging women. Oh and I'm like, well, at least he tried to stop them, right? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's how well known it was. that They knew and they, people were warned, don't get alone with him, don't send your clients to him. And they did what they could in that way. But it was a well-known secret that, that he did this to women. Now, you know, I mean, now he's serving three to ten years is what is what I read. And that, that to me seems like a, a pathetically small sentence but it was just for it was just for Andrea, the um, the woman who uh, came forward in two thousand five, correct? Yes, um, and it was that's the set that's you know it falls within the guidelines for that offense, which was aggravated indecent assault. He was found guilty of three different counts of aggravated indecent assault, um, and that's it fell within those are the guidelines. But you know you got to remember he's. 82 now so I, I, you know, yeah. you know, if he serves the full sentence he'll be he'll be 92 when he gets out so. yeah i know i know people say that that you know yes he's he's aged and and you know if he serves a full sentence he'll be 92 but i'm i'm sorry I'm, I'm thinking that he should be away for a lot more well it's sadly you know and that's what's so sad about um the way the media backed off this story in 2005 and i write about this in the book because if the full force of the media had really gone after this story the way they did in in 2014 and 2015 um it would have it would have put pressure on the da to keep this case open and keep investigating instead of abruptly closing it the way he did and some of these all, more women would have probably come forward and some of those cases might not have been out of the statute of limitations in yeah. 2005 but by the time this you know it comes up again in 2014 so many of those cases were beyond the statute of limitations and there was just you know there was nothing you could do now subsequently some of the cosby survivors have gotten statute of limitations lost 
extended or eliminated in three different states um, as a result of this. But still, it's too late for so many of them. And that, that's the travesty about you know, the way the media reacted in 2005 as well. And in fact, in 2014, a, a number of them did mea culpas. Um, David Carr from the New York Times uh, wrote a story about it and, and you know, outed himself, uh, calling out Cosby's media enablers, including himself, for not asking him the tough questions. Ronan Farrow later wrote a column as well saying he, he regretted not, he, he had, was in, he was working for NBC, was interviewing Mark Whitaker about the book and was told not to ask about the sexual assault allegations, and he didn't until, like, the best question, he switched, you know, slipped one in. So he, this, everybody just, just did whatever he wanted. I mean, they just, they had to do it, the media as well. So that's that's what's that's what's the shame about it. So this is basically the only case we know of that was within the statute of limitations where he could be charged. Well, I'm glad that he's I'm glad that he's at a place where he cannot hurt anybody now, and or hurt any more people. But um, I still you know uh, it's still stunning that this individual could get away with it this long and and had this much power over so many different uh, fields. That he could that he could en- enable, and it's all about control, isn't it? It is. It is. I mean, what do you mean? The, the drugging? Every. I mean, his whole life. Everything. Like yeah. That. No, I think control. I think he controls. You know, everything and everyone in his life, and it is all about control. And he, for half a century, was a star and a mogul, and people did what he wanted. And um, it was, you know, when he, the only time I saw him lose his temper or anything in court was after he was convicted when he you know screamed out at the da and i and i just thought you know he finally found a prosecutor he couldn't control yeah you know kevin Steele wasn't someone he could control and um and again cosby didn't like it and it was interesting because there was a case in 2000 in new york city where uh, a 19 year old woman went to police and said he had done he groped her and um, sexually assaulted her and they, oh, the media only found out about it. They obviously had police sources, and they got the police reports. So here's shows his influence. His name isn't anywhere on the police report. Wow. <laughs> but they have the, the address where it happened. And, um, and, of course, there were never any charges filed. And then when I was reading through the deposition in Andrea's case last summer, when I was finishing the book last year, um, there's this whole long section on, on this woman in the, in the deposition where he's asked about her. And he said he had a phone call with her after she went to police. And she said to him, you know, what did you give me? And I'm thinking, <laughs> wow, I hadn't heard that, that she might have been drugged as well. And, but that was the last you heard from her. He had a phone call with her after she went to police, and then she's never spoken since. Wow. So my guess is that just like Andrea Constant was offered an educational trust from Cosby after she went to police, which she did not except um, perhaps that's what happened with that woman that he, you know, and who can blame someone? You know, why? look what happens to you when you go public with these allegations. Sure. Andrea Constant's name has been dragged through the mud. She, she did not have one single skeleton in her closet. Not that that should have mattered anyway. Zero when this happened in 2005. And they, the Cosby people, made up things about her and leaked it to the media, and the media ran with it. And then she was just, you know, really you know, crucified at both oh, yeah. trials uh, by the defense attorneys. So, and the woman has never done anything malicious or mean or bad in her entire life. And so they just made up things. Mm. So it, it's pretty horrible what they do to sexual assault victims, especially when you come out against a powerful, beloved, you know, national icon like Bill Cosby. So who can blame this other woman if she, in fact, you know, did take this, you know, some kind of educational trust offer from him? Who can withstand? It, 
takes someone like an Andrea Constant to be able to withstand that type of those types of attacks. Well, have you did you get any flack when when you were right when it became known you were writing this book? Uh, no, because. Um, you know, we kept it quiet <laughs> for as, as, you know, as long as possible because my concern was never that he, you know, was that he would try to have it, would he, he would try to put pressure on the publisher to kill the book. Because mm-hmm. um, you notice it's the only book that's been written about the scandal. That's right, yeah. And it's been five years since, it, first, when it, since it broke again in 2014. Um but no, and you know, I reached out for comment, and Andrew Wyatt, uh, to his spokesperson, he's like, "No, I'm, I'm no, I can't, help, I can't comment for your book because I'm working on a book with Mr. Cosby, his celebrity friends, and his family." I'm like, "Okay, okay. that's fine. <laughs> Just ask oh, well. him." Um, so, but of course, you know, there's plenty out there to, to put his side of it, and the deposition is so no, um, so no, knock on wood, not so far. Okay, um, well, I hope. Well, I tell you what, I hope that. I mean, I, I mean the book is fantastic. It's uh, the author's name is Nikki Wisensee Egan, and the book is Chasing Cosby, The Downfall of America's Dad. You can find it at Amazon, BNN.com, any bookstore, anywhere the books are sold, basically, and I highly recommend it. Nikki, thank you for being with me tonight. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Not a problem at all. Chasing Cosby, The Downfall of America's Dad is written by Nikki Wisensee Egan and published by Seal Press. It's available at Amazon.com, BN.com, and wherever books are sold. For the Juno Files, I'm Jim Juno. Mm-hmm.